Hello, and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 75 movies, one cage. This is episode 58, G-Force, from 2009. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and this is probably, I think, not even arguably, like, just probably the best animated, the most fun animated movie, or kids movie, that Cage has done so far in Cage Club. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Like, I was quite surprised at how delightful this movie turned out to be. But, uh, you know, yeah, this is his best children's film yet. So, so far we've had Christmas Carol, we've had The Ant Bully, we've had two National Treasure movies. I think that's it. I'm not missing anything else, am I? Those are pretty much the family films. This is one that kind of crosses the gap or bridges the gap between all of them because it's a live-action movie featuring some computer-generated creatures. So it's both a live-action and an animated movie, kind of. Cage plays a mole named Speckles, for the named after the spectacles that he wears on his face so he can see a little bit better, because moles traditionally do not have very good vision. And Speckles is the best. Yeah, he's the only mole on a team of guinea pigs who yeah. make up the G-Force. And they've also got a fly, I believe, is also on the squad. And they have a cockroach, too. Oh, there's actually, like, a whole crew of cockroaches, you come to find out. Yeah. It's so weird. I don't know who's, like, I don't know. <laughs> we find out, this is not a movie that I think we can go through really chronologically, just because it's crazy. And Cage isn't in it for a lot. And we'll get to why he's not in it in a lot for a lot later. Zach Galifianakis is, like, this crazy scientist who apparently has developed ways to communicate with animals. And so he has raised this team of crime-fighting guinea pigs and a mole and a fly and cockroaches. It just seems like whatever animals he can get his hands on, they're just part of his team. Yeah, I got a bit of a theme with them. They're all very small, right? Like, it, it's sort of like an infiltration team is what he's going for. He's, he's definitely more of a spy guy, right? Like, he's not training bears or dogs or things that are too big. Maybe it's part of his budget. Maybe the FBI just isn't doling out enough room to house large animals. But I kind of got the feel that he was putting together, like, a spy team. They're part of the FBI, but we never really see them get official missions from the FBI. They're just kind of doing their own thing, and it's something, in theory, the FBI would want them to do, but they're doing it without a warrant. And there's a lot of talk in this movie about getting warrants and all this, like, really (laughs) sort of high-end, highbrow, like, government conspiracy or government terminology there's entire scenes with no creatures it's just like will arnett talking to bill nye or somebody i'm just like who is this for like like they're not saying funny things it's just like all right we got to move the plot along like we're actually telling a story here it's weird yeah it's a little strange like how they dwell a little more than i was expecting on the bureaucracy and the evil guys and the bad plans and the things that didn't involve the guinea pigs you know (laughs) and even i found myself going well i really wish i knew what bill nye was up to right now but (laughs) Then I had to remind myself, like, oh, I'm, like, you know, way too old for this film. (laughs) It's not about that at all. But one thing thing that, like, kind of got me into this right away was just how completely surreal the situation is. Like, he didn't have to train the animals to talk or anything. It's just, like, once he was able to communicate with them, they always were able to communicate with each other. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just so out there and so crazy, and they play it so earnestly and and take it, like, so seriously. (laughs) Like, I couldn't help but just, like, go along for this ride. What's really weird about this movie is that the plot is basically about the Internet of Things, which is, like, not a thing that was very well known in 2009. The actual plot, like, the the center, the story of what's going on here 
is so advanced. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. But what's even crazier is that apparently this story, and I, I'm guessing by story, I just mean, I, I guess they mean idea, but the story was created by the director's five-year-old son. I'm sure, I'm sure he just said, hey, Dad, I have an idea. Like, if you know, if guinea pigs were in the FBI. And the guy's like, brilliant. I'm going to write it. I'm going to bring it to Jerry Bruckheimer. I don't think he had anything to do with every device in the world being able to talk to each other and then a mole, spoiler alert, backstabbing everyone and going for mass extinction of the human race. Like, I don't think he came <laughs> up with all that. But it's crazy, like, how forward-thinking this movie is. Well, that too. Like, I just, it just, what struck me about this film is just like how well written it is for this type of film. Like, I take my nieces and nephews to see like all the Alvin and the Chipmunks, you know, the Yogi Bears, and like all these sort of hybrid films, and most of them are unbearable. You know, <laughs> like they're just, they're just sort of these attention grabbing cash grabs for little kids, and you know, their uncle has to suffer through it just, you know, to spend some quality time with them. This one is just, it's just different. Like, I don't know. There's just, there's just like you can just feel a lot more care given to this story and like a lot more going on and talk about this evil plan. I don't know if this occurred to you, but once it occurred to me, I was just completely involved and couldn't believe it was a kid's film. But essentially this is close to the plot of spoilers. Now Kingsman, the secret service. Yeah, I wrote that down. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like the idea is for the technology to turn against humanity and basically a call, right? Like wipe out most of the human race. I couldn't really believe this was a children's film. When I heard that it's unbelievable. Like, I wrote down Kingsman. It's also, I guess, kind of like Halloween 3, like Season of the Witch. Yes. It's just like this, <laughs> this technology that's designed to wipe out all of humanity. Like, there's so many crazy ideas here. And I can see it being a lot of fun for kids. But it's also one of those movies where parents are probably like, how the hell is this me? Like, what, like, what is going on here? <laughs> I mean, if the main characters weren't talking guinea pigs, right? Like, if they were actual humans and this was a real... This could have been Mission Impossible 6 or something. You know, <laughs> like, no joke. Not even joking. Maybe it's the Jerry Bruckheimer effect. I mean, we know that he makes movies that people really enjoy... I mean, we didn't necessarily love National Treasure, like the second one at least. They were sort of hit or miss, both of them, I think. I think this one's more entertaining and engaging than both of them. Maybe because it's shorter and tighter and like it just, it really never lets its foot off the gas pedal. And when it does sort of the children's story type plot lines and stuff, like they're, they're well done as well. Like I think it helps that we have Tracy Morgan and we have Sam Rockwell and we have John Favreau and we have, of course, Nicolas Cage, you know, but they're really like providing what's necessary to get me on to the next scene. And so, like I just feel like their talent comes through and sort of elevates this material, like good voice acting should i guess i don't know but it's just knowing these guys are behind those voices and seeing this like i'm more comfortable and really engaging and this is kind of like an ultimate cage club reunion in a lot of ways that the director hoyt yeatman this is kind of a minor one i'll build up into bigger ones did visual effects on the rock and con air two of the people who wrote the screenplay two of the three were the wibberleys who wrote the national treasure movies this is sort of a loose one, but Will Arnett was the announcer for Don't in Grindhouse. So not quite a Cajun action, but close. But we got Sam Rockwell back. We got Penelope Cruz back. We got Steve Buscemi back. People that we've come to know and love from other movies with really iconic voices. And you're right, like they are just going next level with their voice game here, especially Tracy Morgan, who will, is, has never been in another Cage movie. Best of all, though, is Cage's voice work, because to me, I can't get Charlie Bodell out of my head from Peggy Sue Got Married, that this voice and that voice way back then, it's basically the same thing. Like, it's so close and so great, and just like this nasally little, I guess 
now seeing Charlie Bodell, he might look like a mole now. <laughs> Definitely like a little weasel or something, right? Um, some type of critter. Yeah, I mean, he is definitely doing the Charlie Bodell voice here. I feel like it's his sort of go-to voice, maybe. Let's put it this way. Everyone else sort of has a distinct voice, like Sam Rockwell and Tracy Morgan. Like, they don't really have to do much to their voice to make it sound sort of cool or interesting. Like, I just kind of feel like they already have that. And Cage didn't really do that either in Ant Bully, you know? Like, he sort of got right. by on his natural voice. But here, he's doing a voice, you know? And, it, yeah. and, and I don't know if the only voice he can do is that Charlie Bodell, or if the idea is that's an original voice he came up with, so... <laughs> You know, he wants it out there even more. And then if anyone else does it, then you could, you know, point back and say, oh, it originated with with Nick Cage. Like, that's the voice he came up with. Maybe he just wanted to do it in a movie where it was appreciated. Because we know that on Peggy Sue Got Married, that almost got him fired from the movie. Him being like that crazy over-the-top character. Here it just fits in like it's a normal voice. So maybe he just wanted to do it again and have people be like, hey, Nick great job with the voice work like exactly what we're looking for <laughs> yeah it was definitely a very animated over-the-top voice in peggy sue that didn't quite fit in with what everyone else was doing but but here yeah it fits in perfectly he shouldn't do anything but this voice so on this team he's kind of in a way sort of the glue that keeps everyone together he is kind of the riley if we're going back to national <laughs> treasure He's a hacker, and so when Sam Rockwell and Penelope Cruz and Tracy Morgan and all them are going into the... Whenever they're on a mission and infiltrating a building, Cage is working remotely, making sure that they go through unscathed. There's just like a real camaraderie and a real bond here. You can tell from the beginning of the movie how close they are. Like, Cage has these like words of encouragement for Sam Rockwell. Saber's about to start his speech. Remember, the clock is ticking, dude! Darwin, you're behind schedule. You all right? First mission jitters, I guess. Do you want to abort? No, no, it's okay. I've been trained to do this. I'd follow you into a snarling pack of... Dobermans! <laughs> oh, wait. I already have. Now get your fuzzy hind end moving. Yeah, there's a real good sense of camaraderie here right at the start. This idea that they trust each other and they're prepared and they've been training. And one thing I really like that they don't even mention this, but it's obvious that Speckles is clearly, you know, the ugliest out of everybody, you know, but they accept yeah. him unconditionally, you know, and I love that. They don't even, there's not even a mention of any of it, you know, it's not even brought up, but clearly you have these, you know, guinea pigs, which are some of the most adorable creatures on the planet, <laughs> and you put them next to this weird-nosed mole you're going to see the contrast there. But I just love how that's not even, you know, touched upon. So it's never an issue. It's it's kind of a nice thing. I guess going back to the ant bully, it's kind of like teaching kids to be just accepting of anybody around them. Yeah. Like, he is so different, but he kind of embraces how he's different. Like, he talks about how he's like, I'm a mole. I got a thing for worms and just, like, eats a worm. <laughs> yeah. Encryption. Hands off the keys. I'm setting up a worm to decipher. Speckles, you're a genius. I'm a mole. I got a thing for worms. And just, like, things that, like, just seem kind of gross and so different from the rest of what guinea pigs are doing. But he's part of the team. By the end of the movie, you know, they're talking about it as a family, right? Like, he's part of the family. He's just one of them. Just accept him. Like, there's, like, you could make fun of him. You could call him ugly or weird-looking or whatever. But, like, he's a person, too, even though he's a mole. You know, he's got feelings. He's, like, a living thing. Just treat him with respect. Yeah, they, I mean, they will touch upon that when we get to the dreaded pet store from hell, right? Like, there is a situation we have a character to deal with, with those sorts of prejudice and bias, which I think is cool, the way that they do 
deal with that. But it's really nice here that you feel there's a core when the film's already started, which is kind of unusual for a team film, kind of like, you know, like usually I feel like you got to get the team together and then do a mission, or otherwise if the team's already together, it's not as cohesive here it's really cool like they're a well-oiled machine right out of the gate and they're a well-oiled machine but they're not necessarily doing what they're supposed to be doing that they basically report back to the fbi or they get caught or something happens and the fbi gets in touch with zach galifianakis and they're like what are you doing he's like well we got the files he's like well we didn't we didn't have permission to get the files what's also weird about this movie is that this movie is guinea pigs against the fbi (laughs) like they're getting chased by the fbi and I wrote down several times, the world that this exists in is insane. Dads and kids on the street watching guinea pigs on their own, you know, interact with coffee makers. They're rolling down the street in, like, these little, jer- like, the guinea pig balls. And just everybody thinks it's, like, totally okay. Like, people think it's a little weird. I don't know. Like, it's not like they're famous, you know? It's not like there's Johnny Plays. <laughs> yeah. They are ostensibly just, you know, secret agents, basically. Nobody knows they exist, but everybody's totally okay seeing them out and about in the world. My favorite example of that is when Will Arnett shows up at the lab slash warehouse slash home base, where Zach Galifianakis has been keeping all the rodents and stuff. <laughs> Luckily, by the end of the film, he's reprimanded and sent to the North Pole for his ignorance, because he's, like, completely unimpressed with guinea pigs that can play video games and moles that can decrypt computer programs. Like, what he basically (laughs) says is, like, Zach Galifianakis is like, we have the technology to understand animals. And Will Arnett basically is like, well, now we just have more people to keep quiet and shut up. Like, you know, it's like, dude, you have this, you have the technology to change the world. And you're like, you're completely blowing it off. I was like, oh, man. (laughs) Zach Galifianakis kind of goes over and, like, gives them all backstories and, like, kind of says, basically, hey, look, they're individuals, they're people. Like, they're not just, they're not robots or something I've created, like, they're things that you should care about, that they have backstories, they have a history to them, and well, it's like, eh, whatever, I'm just gonna shut down G-Force, and it's just like, wait, what, I don't, this is, this could, in theory, open up a whole new world of possibilities, and if they were to get a warrant or whatever to get these files from Saber's house, they could get in there, like, they could infiltrate things, like, they, they would be able to do things that nobody else would be able to do, like, appreciate this for the marvel and the novelty and the opportunity and possibility that it is. Instead, he's upset that Galifianakis like went over his head the whole problem here is once they got the files back to the base like they waited to decrypt it in front of Will Arnett and then it turns out like they got the wrong files or or what they thought they had wasn't on the disc so it's almost like because of that Will Arnett's like oh well you know you guys like tried and failed like (laughs) he's not even going to give him a second chance he's not impressed that they are a functioning team in the first place to any degree that these are animals spies (laughs) he's just like oh went over my head. You're going down. I guess Will Arnett has to be against them. It just doesn't make sense that he's against them. Like, it makes sense in terms of the story, but not the world that they're building. You know, if I had to stretch, it might just be, like, a parody of the idiocy of... We know, like, Michael Bay, Jerry Bruckheimer, they don't always portray, like, (laughs) authority figures in the best light. So it could be a parody or a satire of how ridiculous those men in in those positions can act, right? They're just so short-sighted and they're always about the bottom line. So if this project costs money and it's not producing results, then it needs to be shut down. And at least in the end, Will Arnett gets his comeuppance and he gets sent 
into Antarctica, and he's he's standing there shivering, and I'm sure every every kid watching this movie is giggling because it's so cold down where he is. But at least you know, <laughs> like he's not a bad guy. He just doesn't know how to take advantage of what he's supposed to take advantage of. Yeah, he even like <laughs> he even like apologizes profusely <laughs> like at the end. He's like, I should have listened to you. You were right. <laughs> so instead of basically getting a whole movie full of guinea pig spies. Instead, they're shipped off to this pet store, and the funniest line in the movie, I honestly don't know. If I didn't know it was Nicolas Cage doing this voice, I don't know if I would have recognized it because it's that unique, but there's the line where he says, not the cage, I don't do cages, and it's the best line in the movie. We can hide in here. Go, 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 go. No, the cage. I don't do cages. Speckles, let go. He's used the word cage in a couple other movies before, but like I, I could not stop laughing at this line. Yeah, and I love how panic-stricken he becomes like immediately, right? Like he's the only one to sort of freak out about the situation. And it's like, man, you're a spy, you know? I thought you were trained for this kind of stuff. He is not having the cage whatsoever. Well, I feel like he's not really field-ready. He's more like Riley, like I was saying. He's sort of behind the scenes. Like he doesn't want to get his hands dirty, his paws dirty, if you will. So he's not used to actually going out and doing things. And so him actually having to take this journey with his guinea pig friends is a little bit more than he bargained for. I wonder if it's some sort of past trauma handed down that we'll discover at the end that he <gasps> had yeah traumatic experience maybe cages were involved and <laughs> and he didn't want that sort of flashback at the time and they get to the pet store and this is where they meet steve buscemi this is where they meet john favreau i like that there's you know it's not a cage connection but sam rockwell and john favreau reuniting i guess from iron man 2 like there's a whole bunch of connections going on here and then I wrote down at this point that this movie basically feels like a Black Eyed Peas delivery machine. There are so <laughs> many Black Eyed Peas songs in this movie used in the background. Had to be, like, no joke, five or six. I don't know if it's the same song every time or a couple songs they reuse. I guess this was right around the time when their album The End was, like, the biggest album in the world. It is throughout this movie, more so than anything else. Like, you know, we were talking about how Internet of Things pushes it forward and about how this is the same plot, basically, as Kingsman, which is, you know, a movie from this year. More so than even those, like, this dates it and, like, set, like sort of negates everything else. Like, all right, we are firmly in 2009. This is the only time that this, these songs would ever be used. Yeah, there, there may be more Black Eyed Peas music than actual score composed for the film. You know, like, it, it is the score to the movie, that album, I, I feel. But I also feel it works. And it's got that thumping beat to it that, you know, kids will pay attention to when they turn it on and stuff, and it just gets, the, I don't know, it just, it's like instantly upbeat and dancey and stuff. I think it works for the film, but you're right. It definitely feels like one of those soundtrack choices where it's like, okay, what's like the hottest, coolest <laughs> song of the year? Let's just cram this movie full of it. Like, I wonder, like, I guess like, if this movie came out last year, it would be like all Taylor Swift songs, maybe? I don't know. It's just, you know, whatever the big album is, just throw it in there like songs kids know and go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like one step away from putting Gangnam Style in your film, right? I mean, it's a children's film, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's actually in, like, a Chipmunks movie. <laughs> and so while they're at the pet store, they need to basically act cute to get adopted because they need to get out, they need to be able to get back to Zach Galifianakis and sort of basically save the world. Cage has a line about, I can't act cute, I don't have that range. Like we were saying, like it's kind of sad because he is this ugly sort of outcast, and every other guinea pig is cute by nature, and kids love it. Poor Cage the Mole, just n nobody wants him. Huddle up. Okay, bring it in. First we get adopted, then we escape. Ben's house is the rendezvous point. Now, go act cute. 
Yeah, he's got even more competition here with like Buscemi and Favreau, and like I'm loving the Favreau character too. Like, there's just something about his delivery that just really cracks me up, and it's also kind of funny because we know Cage totally has the range to play cute and adorable. Sure. So it's just like a wink and a nod if you know that it's him. Tracy Morgan and Penelope Cruz get adopted together, and there, there's only two of them left now. It's only Sam Rockwell and Cage in the cage. And Cage is like, oh, I got a plan. I'm going to fake my own death and get out back. And then once I'm out back, I'm going to run away. And Sam Rockwell's like, all right, good plan. Except as he fakes his own death, the garbage truck just happens to pull up. And Niecy Nash, who I love, who is killing it this year on Scream Queens, she's like, all right, garbage truck's here. Like, let's get rid of him. And then we, they throw Nick Cage away. And he gets compacted and just gets killed. That is devastating. Like, I know he's kind of this outsider, but he's still part of the family. And to have him go out in such a brutal, brutal way halfway through the movie, it's, like, shocking. And it's played for real. This is how he exits. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But it was, like, such a great plan, too. You know, I, I gotta give the writers credit. What a great idea. Pretend to be dead so you get thrown out, and then you could just run away. Like, I just love that. This is a brutal death. You know, I think this is worse than getting stung by bees, brought back to life, and burned in a wicker man, you know? Speaking of Sam Rockwell, Nick Cage suffers the shredder death from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 1, of which Sam Rockwell had a minor, minor role in. But yeah, <laughs> he is crushed in the uh, garbage truck. The idea to take Cage out of this movie is great in terms of the story, but in terms of Cage Club, even though I like a lot of the people that are left, and I like the way, I like the action, I like everything that's going on, I sort of check out a little bit, just because Cage, the funniest voice, the best character, the reason we're watching this movie... He's just gone. It's cool, and like they're they're doing stuff, and like Sam Rockwell breaks out, and they're all kind of motivated to get back together to avenge their fallen comrade. I, I wish that Cage was there. Like I know it. I know why narratively it has to happen. But I just wish that he was there. Yeah, it feels a little like Deadfall, right? Like he's been the best sort of most outrageous and flamboyant part of the film and the most fun. And all of a sudden he's gone. You know, it's like, oh, no, it's like getting the rug pulled out from under you. It's like when he when he has these strong, powerful characters, it's like they can't even survive the entire movie. They're too big. And they try and and sort of compensate as well. There's kind of a cool RC car escape sequence with um, Tracy Moore. I thought that was pretty cool. Favreau and Rockwell fight like a blender when they try to remove the secret chip inside of it. It like transforms and, and attacks them. Speaking of that moment, I couldn't believe they actually went for this, but yet another film where a car comes out of nowhere to run something over. Sam Rockwell sort of leads the robot like into the street a little bit and it gets hit by a car. And I was like, I can't believe like even in a children's film we have that happening. And not only that car accident, but later in the movie, and this makes no sense in terms of the plot, but when they're having that like big getaway where they're all in their little yeah I don't remember what they call Gerbil it like the, MD, the MDV or the RDV or whatever and then they split up they're in like the gerbil balls yeah guinea pig balls they all split up and it's sort of like one FBI SUV after each and one of the balls is rolling down the road and then it hits like a ramp up the back of like a pickup truck and then launches over the pickup truck and launches over an RV which is totally fine like that's cool whatever. 
I don't understand why the FBI SUV decided it was also a good idea to take that same ramp, and it launches over the pickup truck and then smashes down into the RV. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, you're the FBI. I guess this is the scene that proves definitively that these FBI agents are incompetent. It is sort of a conspiracy to prove that all government officials and all cops don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I can't believe we're getting a full-on Bruckheimer-level high-speed chase in a children's film here, and it's working for me. They do something I've been dying to see in a movie for a really long time. Like, I live in the suburbs, I drive around the neighborhood, and I see those landscaping trucks all the time, and I'm always like, how great it would be in a chase if someone launches off of the back of one of those landscaping trucks. And it happens in this movie, and I couldn't have been happier to have seen it. I'm not sure if it was a little too intense for some viewers. (laughs) Probably. However, there's also a great line. One of the FBI agents says, foreshadowing, he goes, you're driving angry. (gasps) Oh, man. They make sure, as the film is geared toward kids, to make sure that they show every FBI agent, and they all kind of get knocked out of commission in one way or another, but they always make sure to show that every FBI agent is okay. That like Nobody dies in this movie. Everybody's totally okay. But they are all driving angry and doing stupid things and crashing their cars. Yeah, everybody pretty much you know makes it away intact. The funny thing is the people who get it the worst are sort of the children, right? Like the children who adopted the two guinea pigs and like torture them, basically. <laughs> like the one girl dresses up Penelope Cruz and like puts makeup on her. And I'm like, ooh, testing makeup on animals. Like that's where my <laughs> mind went immediately. <laughs> and the brother character is very much like Sid from Toy Story, where I expect him to strap Tracy Morgan to a firecracker or something. I mean, he, he does do that RC car. Speaking of Ghost Rider, it's like the Ghost Rider stunt, right? He's like in an RC car and he jumps all those other cars and he's got all the cameras going off. But even Tracy Morgan's like, this is some animal cruelty <laughs> shit. <laughs> in the pet store, he takes John Favreau in his lacrosse stick head and throws him and tries to get him in with the snake. Like, what kind of kid is trying to kill animals in a pet store? Like, what kind of psychopath goes into a pet store and almost kills animals? Like, that's some next-level crazy psychopath shit. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. And and I was also wondering, like, I thought they would want to sell more guinea pigs after this film, and it almost seems like they don't think children are responsible enough to take care of them. So it's like, <laughs> Mixed messages. Maybe Big Guinea Pig (laughs) paid for this movie and made sure that nobody could ever get guinea pigs again. In sort of a stunning turn of events, it turns out at the end of the movie that this guy Saber, who's sort of been billed as this big bad guy, you know, the head of this corporation that's going to be putting these chips in every device that's going for a global extermination, he isn't even aware that all these machines are going to be violent. That when the news breaks out and he's sort of brought in for questioning or arrested or sort of accused of things, he's like, all I wanted them to do was talk to each other. He's like, this isn't me. And it's like, well, if he's not the bad guy, who's the bad guy? That was a shock. Like, to find out that Bill Nighy wasn't malevolent or evil in any <laughs> capacity, that he was genuinely like a Bill Gates or something like that, that he just wanted everybody to be connected, was a great twist. But then there's a twist on top of that twist, you know? Like, he had been talking to a secret benefactor named Yan Shu. All we know about him is that he's Chinese, maybe. Bill Nighy is like, it's him or something, right? He's like, I have nothing to do with this. And I thought that was terrific. And Mr. Yan Shu is this very brooding, malevolent voice from China. He's sort of the one pulling the strings. 
And it turns out that Mr. Yanshu is Speckles. It's Nicolas Cage, and Nicolas Cage is the bad guy. And he's not dead, and he's, he's got this whole master plan about how humans, for years and years and years, have been exterminating moles, and now this is his chance to get back at humans for killing all of his ancestors. And it's like, whoa, where did this come from? Speckles, you're alive! You, you infiltrated the bad guy's lair! Where is he? I am the bad guy. What, you really think I let myself get killed in a garbage truck? Ha! Well, I hid in a soup can. Rode it all the way to the city dump. And it was stinking. Stakels! I can't believe the mole was the mole! You tricked Saber into helping you build Cluster Storm? How could you do this to us? I thought we were friends. I put my life on the line for you. Yanshu was in my basement this whole time. Yeah, and he wasn't a man, he was a mole. Yanshu is the Chinese word for mole. Saber says we're just a cover. <laughs> I created an army of robotic appliances, and they created an array of giant electromagnetic nodes. Nerds capable of pulling down all the space junk orbiting the planet and driving every human underground. So, what do you think? Speckles, why? You ever Google the word mole, Darwin? Three million entries. Not on how to care for him or love him or pet him. No! Three million entries on how to exterminate them. Son, if you ever get the chance to bring mankind to its knees, do it. You showed us no mercy, darling. Well, now it's my turn to do a little pest control. If you'll excuse me, it's showtime. Yeah, this is bananas. Like His plan is genius, though. He tells Saber, oh, all this space junk we're tracking is so that they won't be able to like infiltrate our satellites or whatever. But in fact, the plan is to launch all the space junk down to Earth so that humanity has to live underground like the moles have a taste of their own medicine. You find out Speckle's true origin about how like his family was murdered, <laughs> you know, yeah. and he'd be like, on the run until Zach Galifianakis like, took him in and stuff, and his Dad's dying words is like, if you ever get the chance, (laughs) make mankind pay for what they've done. And at the end of the movie, Speckles is like, you all stole my home. Now I'm going to steal your home. Like, get ready, because, like, the apocalypse is coming. You're here that stole my home. Now I will steal yours. (laughs) Look out! Darwin, Speckles, shut this down now. No. Then I'll shut you down. I have no quarrel with you, Darwin. But mankind must pay. You know I can't let you do that. Then you leave me no choice, my friend. What I also love about this is where it takes place. Like, Sam Rockwell sneaks into an actual computer, like the actual computer tower, right? So, like, yeah. he's sneaking around inside there about to plant a virus, and it's Speckles' secret lair inside a secret lair. Like, he lives, like, in this computer now. I just thought that was really cool imagery. I know for sure that I don't like this, but I also understand that it's going to happen in a kid's movie because you can't have a hero become the villain without some kind of redemption. But, like, almost as quickly as we learn that Cage is the villain, he kind of comes to this realization that, oh, like, I'm making a mistake here. Sam Rockwell's like, why are you doing this? And he basically says, because I lost my family, mankind killed my family, 
And Sam Rockwell's like, no, like, you found a family. Like, we're your family. Within, like, two minutes, it seems, of Cage unveiling his master plan, he's just like, oh, you're right. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing something terrible. Like, I gotta fix my ways. Speckles, if you keep doing this, then you're no better than the humans who destroyed your home and your family. Well, that's kind of the point here. I lost my family. No, you're wrong. We're your family. Me and Blaster and Juarez and Ben and Marcy. Speckles, Ben took us in when nobody else wanted us. And he made us a family. We're a family. Oh, no. No. What have I done? What have I done? But a lot of crazy stuff does kind of happen within those two minutes. Like, I really love what I come to call the uh, speckle bot. He turns, like, this computer, like, just grabs anything around it, right, and transforms it so that it grows and grows, and and he creates, like, this giant robot to terrorize people with, and he's, Mm -hmm. like, raining down space junk on the front yard at the FBI. It's, like, really pretty awesome, and (laughs) I was really surprised how well thought out that was, and and that this movie was going there, and it's very exciting. And and then inside this robot is when Sam Rockwell and the other guinea pigs are sort of trying to reach the top of it. And when he does, yeah, he, he's reasoning. He reasons with them. Right? That's like his ultimate weapon, his reason. It reminded me of the end of Spider-Man 2 with Dr. Octopus, where Peter Parker just kind of like reasons with him to change his mind. And I did like that, but it does happen pretty quick. But if you do, if you do kind of think back and go, well, he's been evil like this whole time, maybe, right. maybe it makes a little more sense when he, when he finally sees like what he's wrought upon man, right? He's like, oh, I've gone too far. I guess really in a kid's movie, you can't have too much destruction. You can't really have people die. You can't have too many things blow up because kids are probably going to get scared when this happens. So you kind of have to get out of that mode really quickly. I don't know what you could have added in to make it better. I don't know what you could have done to make it different. I just wish that there was a little bit more there of kind of crazy, evil, maniacal cage. Because he's like, here's my master plan. Let me do some crazy stuff. And then, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Like, it's just, it's such a quick reversal. I just wish we had more crazy, mad scientist, evil villain cage with the Charlie Bodell voice. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, it feels a little bit like attention span theater here, where it's like rush, rush, quick, quick, all things sort of happening because it's the end of the movie. Like, we got to get to the end here a little. And you're right, I would like to have seen maybe more of a chase if, he ha- if they had to race after him a little bit or if there was maybe a bit more of an extension here. But I do kind of like how he looks at Zach Galifianakis and he's like, you're right, there are good humans. Yeah, it, it's not like it's a bad ending. It is a sort of sweet ending. I just wished, I think a chase would have been cool or some kind of way that, you know, they can kind of defeat Cage. Like, the the reasoning, you know, like the end of Spider-Man 2, like you were saying, it's just, like, it works, but it just, it's sort of unfulfilling. Yeah, I think the only other way you really could have gone is if he sacrificed himself for the greater good, you know, the ultimate sacrifice. Like, you don't necessarily <laughs> want to go that way. This isn't PG-13, and I, I'm not even sure. Is it PG or is it G? It's a very soft PG. You know, there, this is less crude than Ant Bully, right? Like, I think we get maybe one fart joke in this whole film, and, like, that's about as bad as it got. And I think that's another reason I kind of liked it, because it didn't take me out in that direction. There definitely could have been, you know, some more heft here for a big conclusion. I do like how he comes to his senses. Like, I just thought that was cool. It's so much better than just 
putting him in jail or something. And what I do like about the ending also is that it sets up a sequel. Everybody, the, the gang's all back together. Zach Galifianakis and his assistant Marcy adopt everybody else from the pet shop. There's like these three little mice, basically a Greek chorus of mice that they adopt. They adopt other hamster or guinea pig in a cage. Everybody's there at the end. It's this whole big crew. Cage is still sort of working with the FBI, undoing all the damage he did. So he's got to go through manually all these appliances and swap out the chip. And he's sort of like, I'll be back for your next mission if you'll have me. They're like, oh, we'll have you. (laughs) Three down, 178,000 to go. (sighs) I think I'm going to be here a while. But I'm going to rejoin the team when I'm done. Well, you have to have me. And so, like, they set it up for G-Force 2, but I'm guessing, you know, six years later, here we are, no rumors of a G-Force 2. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Yeah, you know, I was poking around the internet and seeing, you know, there were G-Force toys, there was a G-Force video game. It it is a full-on Disney property, so there could be G-Force rides at the parks, and these creatures could be running around. I mean, how great to get your picture taken with speckles. (laughs) I'd love that for my wall. Uh, So I I am a little surprised that this franchise didn't at least get a direct-to-DVD sequel or something like that, or, you know, a children's cartoon show just sort of drifted off into obscurity. <laughs> I might have an answer why that didn't happen. I just looked up. Take a guess what you think the budget for this movie is. Uh, $100 million. $150 million. Oh my god, that's very expensive. That must be all money for voice talent, because I mean, there's there's some big scenes. Well, there's some big scenes, but it's nothing crazy, right? Well, I was thinking about it, right? Like, this must have been really difficult to direct, like all these types of hybrid CG real people type movies. Like, it's you're shooting a lot of just blank background plates and everything's Mm going to go in later so it's got to be maddening for the director on some level and there's like every shot in this film is a special effects shot right so even if it's not a lot of stuff going on every shot is going to cost a lot of money and the guinea pigs look pretty great you know, like, they do. They do I have to good. say, they really hold up from then to now. Uh, I was really impressed. There are a couple scenes where sometimes when like the, the kids are interacting with them that it seems a little wonky. I think mostly that has to do with the kids not necessarily knowing like how to best do space work for like what they're going to CGI in later. But when they're just on screen alone or just with inanimate objects, like it's great. Most of this movie looks like it could have come out this year. Yeah, and, and I always feel that's kind of the toughest thing to do when you're when you're not balancing like the CGI character with like a real human. It could be harder on the eyes to feel real, but it does a good job when you have like four or five like CG characters just in like a cage, you know, talking to each other. Like I, com- right. I completely buy it. One thing actually you mentioned about how hard it was to direct. What I think is maybe a good idea is that the guy who directed this, Hoyt Yeatman, who I said before his kid came up with the idea, he is mostly a visual effects guy. That He was visual effects on The Rock. He was visual effects on, I believe, Con Air. He's this guy who isn't necessarily a director. I think he's only got like three directorial credits. I think this is his first one. But it makes sense to have this guy who sort of knows the computer side of things, you know, like the After Effects kind of things, take control of a movie like this and say, okay, here's how we need to shoot this. Here's how we need to, like, block this scene because I know what they're going to need to do after this is all said and done. Let's make their lives easier or as easy as it can be. I'm surprised this guy hasn't worked more, you know, that they haven't pulled him out to do a couple of these other chipmunk films, you know. I think he's a good director. Like, he... 
he got me to feel like Zach Galifianakis believed he was in the moment. You know, I feel like everybody in this film was doing a really good job of what they needed to do. And yeah, he had a good job with the camera placement. And like you said, he just knows where his special effects go and is very competent filmmaking. Like, <laughs> I tell you, it's way better than like that Yogi Bear movie. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> so I think that's pretty much all I have for G-Force. And I didn't think this was going to be a super long episode and Cage is in it a lot, and I, I would definitely recommend watching this, especially, I mean, I don't know if I could recommend this over a National Treasure movie just because those are, like, you know, sort of spectacle movies, but in terms of the animated ones, in terms of this and Ant Bully and Christmas Carol, as much as we liked Ant Bully, I think this is definitely the one to go with if you're going to watch an animated Cage movie. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. There literally is something for everyone in this movie, you know? Like, I think if you could sit through the stuff intended for children, then when you get to the car chase, which ends in a spectacular fireworks display we didn't even mention. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. There's stuff to see here that I think is worth watching. So, I think, yeah, I think you could do much worse when it comes to these types of children's films. So, any last thoughts on G-Force? Anything that we didn't cover that you want to talk about? Yeah, so the entire movie, I was just waiting for Sam Rockwell's guinea pig to start dancing you know <laughs> because it's, it's not a sam rockwell film if he doesn't bust a move at least for a second or two and sure i was extremely relieved to see that the movie concludes with a dance party yeah but it's, it's like it's so out of place and also so perfectly in place it just it's a it's a great way to end this movie i think so for all things cage club you can go to cageclub.me you can read our reviews find past podcasts follow us on twitter rate review subscribe on itunes all things cage at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club.